Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Jennifer Todd. She's the founder and president at LMS General Contractors. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Me too. Me too. It's been a long time coming, but we made it happen. <laughs> you are very much involved in this skills trade side of things, construction, but come from a law background. Walk me through that. Yeah, it's actually the reverse. Is it? Yes, it is. Oh. It's construction that prompted me to attend law school. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. How did that work? Yeah. So I've been in the construction industry for about 16 years now. And along my journey, when I started off as a receptionist at a demolition company, I was filing the paperwork and liens and reviewing bids. And so going to law school had always been in the back of my mind if psychology didn't work out. And when I started working at the construction company, I just kind of put it to the back burner. And I actually at some point applied and did my first year of law school and dropped out while I was in California because it was just so overwhelming. And when I decided to start my company, LMS General Contractors, it was in that moment that I said, I've got to go to law school. Just being a Black woman in this industry, being young, uh, you know, ageism, sexism, racism, all of the isms, I was just like, in order to protect myself and my company, I have got to go to law school because I understood the trials that not only diverse contractors face, but small contractors as well. So walk me through the, well, you got into the construction industry and then you started your company and you, you, you uh, took up law, but what's the, what's the missing piece there? What happened in between? The missing piece was when I, before starting LMS, I really saw like what minority contractors had to go through what women contractors were dealing with, what small contractors were dealing with. And that was being eaten alive on projects because they didn't understand their contracts. They didn't understand the clauses and how it impacted them, what it meant to be a second tier or third tier sub, what it meant to be paid when paid, you know, what it meant to submit the lien waivers and, you know, liquidated damages. There were so many things that People didn't understand when they're small contractors. Were they great craftspeople? Yes. Were they able to do the, the work? Yes. And follow instructions? Yes. But when you are working on a contracting site, it is very litigious as a whole. We know this, if you're lucky enough to know it. And I just didn't want to be ill-prepared. Often when you are a smaller contractor, a minority business, even you don't have the resources to have in-house counsel or general counsel. And so when you have an issue on the project, you are losing money from that very moment. And people don't understand that you've got equipment, you've got people, you've got materials. And so you could be losing thousands of dollars a day for failure to act. And if you have to go hire an attorney to brief them on what the issue is, wait for them to review the contract, come back, that could be a week. And a week could really like get you kicked off a job. 
if you're ill prepared, or you could be losing even more money by continuing to work without resolving the issues. And so I just said, hey, I've got to protect myself. And so the second time around, when I attended law school, I graduated from Arizona State University. It was basically simultaneously. When I made the decision that I wasn't getting hired in any of the places, they didn't see the value in me. I said, I'm starting my own business. And I started law school at the same time. Well, you know, I, I've um, op- run and operated a business for you know a bit. And I know how hard it is to get a business up and running. But at the same time, you had law school going. How did you make both of those happen? You know, a whim and a prayer. <laughs> so <laughs> it is not something that I would recommend. It, and I don't know if I knew then what I know now, I don't. I would have never done that. But at the time, I didn't feel like I had a choice. I felt like I was kind of being pushed to survive. I'm an adult. I've got to pay bills. And someone came to me with an opportunity to do work on a project post-disaster, and I wasn't going to turn it down. So it's like, oh, the business is starting. (laughs) But at the same time, I was already in law school. And so luckily, I was able to uh, take a track where I was going to law school part-time, and I was working on the business full-time. And so there was a lot of stress and a lot of sleepless nights. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, what were some of the specific lessons you learned along the way? Well, time management is a big thing. And people think that if you just have these blocks of time, it will work, but also understanding energy management and understanding myself of when it was my peak hours to work, Mm. understanding, uh, being okay with telling people no, because you're going to, you have a business, you're going to miss a lot of functions, but let alone law school, that's a full-time job in itself. So disappointing people, I miss funerals, I've missed weddings, I've missed birthdays, as a result of it. And and it kind of stings a little bit because people think that you just don't want to do these things, but it's like, hey, I have to sacrifice the short term for the long term. Yeah, for sure. And somewhere along the line, you have, I think, either initiative or foundation that you started? Yeah. So A Greener Tomorrow is my nonprofit. Initially, we started it under LMS and what we were doing was a lot of housing projects. And so with that, there are a lot of residents there who are unemployed, if not underemployed. And we saw an avenue to take where we could hire and train people in remediation, asbestos, lead and mold, as well as full structure demolition. And the people wanted the opportunity to work. It wasn't that they didn't know what to do or how to do it. They just needed someone to believe that they actually could do the work. And so we have an apprenticeship program where we train and hire people on various projects across the country and the work that we do. And now we've expanded and we are working on a project that is geared to support uh, women in construction this year that's going to be coming out later on this year. Wow, that's fantastic. And then also, I mean, I I guess you, you have speaker on there as well. So how did that start? Accidentally, a friend of mine, she asked me to come and speak at a function she was having. And she was like, you have such an amazing story. You're so inspiring. You should come. And I was just like, who wants to hear my story? Like, who would care? (laughs) Like, she said, no, it's you would be surprised. And so I was surprised. And it really after that, that was probably about four years ago. After doing that speaking gig, I I guess I got bit by the bug and um, people have continued to call and refer me and hire me to share my story, share my expertise. And it's uh, it's been very fun. I've traveled different places in the country, different continents. And so I'm very fortunate that people still 
call me and, and hire me to speak at their events. Very nice. And then also, I guess, with the business that you're in, like, uh, I guess, full service demolition, uh, that category, I mean, what what sort of things, if you weren't in that business, you wouldn't know? Mm-hmm. What, what sort of misconceptions or things people don't understand about that category? We're in the roofing industry, and there's specific things for the roofing industry, but what, in terms of demolition and, and that area that you, you started your... Uh, general contracting business, what what do people not know about what you do? I think people don't understand the engineering and estimating aspect that goes into demolition. I think people just think you just knock a building down without understanding not just the foundational in a literal term, but in semantics of how that actually works and understanding the craftsmanship and care that goes into being a good operator. A lot of people think you just get in a machine and boom, you see this commercial where you have a wrecking ball and things go down. And and that's not what we do. But there is so much engineering aspects to it. And so that's why I do love it. I love seeing the building come down. But I also love the logistical aspect of it. And I love the estimating component of it because it really taps into my like, okay, I'm down to the number. Even to this day, we have about 12 people that work for LMS. I still look at every single bid before it goes out because I want to make sure that I agree with the number. So technically, I am senior estimator. I love to understand the nuances of the job and make sure if this works on paper, is it really going to work in the field? Like, is that the number? And so I, I like to come very close to what I thought the job was going to be. But yeah, that's what I would say. Just understanding the the intrinsic things that go on as an operator, being in the field, how dangerous it is. And there's an art and a science to knocking down a building. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so interested in that. But what I have to ask is, you know, in the roofing industry, there's many people that well, look at you can't help but look at roofs, the roofs they've done, you know, other roofs that you know uh, they point out in the neighborhood or in commercial buildings. When you see an old building, do you immediately start estimating or seeing what it would take to knock it down? Oh, yeah. Well, when I look at it, I'll be like, oh man, that building's got a lot of asbestos in it. That'd be a good job. Oh man. Oh, like all that. Look at all those wires. Look at all that, you know. Oh my goodness, look at that. Oh, look at all the recyclables in that thing. Yeah, how much metal is in there? Oh, yeah, you got some red iron steel. Okay, yes, yeah, that's good. So I look at it from that standpoint of like, what's the job worth? Like how much money is in it? And and if it's a good job, or the all or the the reverse of it being like a building full of concrete, and you're like, nah, no thanks. That's gonna that's gonna take forever. That's gonna ruin the machine. There's no money in that. So Got it. Got it. Yeah. You see, obviously, yeah, you're right. Cause some buildings don't come down Like, well it, with those buildings, you don't bid them. I I'm assuming some, some contractors do specialize or do those jobs, but for you, you're just looking at to make sure that it's the right fit for your style or, or profitable. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the buildings, when we, when it, as it relates to demo, we do a lot of uh, hotels, motels, 200, 300 unit apartment buildings. uh, So like residential complexes and things like that. Schools, universities, that's our that's our wheelhouse. Um, Those structures that may have been there, you know, 40, 50 years, 60 years. We try to stay away from the ancient buildings because there's just so much. There's so much to be done there. We kind of leave that to the big guys. And we like they said, we don't do the thing with concrete crushing because you need a machine to do concrete crushing and 
it's a lot of wear and tear on the machine. So you really, you need a big machine and you need multiple machines. And so we try to stay away from things that just take too long to do. For sure. And then also you mentioned safety. Mm-hmm. What sort of safety considerations and conversations go into before you do these things? Well, I, first of all, just making sure that the person is clear and cognizant, making sure they're sober, drug-free, uh, making sure that they are a good communicator, because you have times when people, you may be on another side of the building. So being able to communicate with people to understand, but also having the support on the ground, because it's not just about demoing the building. You need people to are hosing the building down to keep the dust mitigation and things like that down, too. So. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned not these are environmental hazard, but legal hazards earlier, and that smaller businesses don't have the ability to hire. So if you are one of these smaller contractors, you know, and you do not have the resources or time to go through law school, what should they be doing? Where should they be looking at to educate themselves? That's a great question. So if you are a new business or a smaller business and you cannot afford to hire a general counsel, First up, I would say is that you need to hire a lawyer to look over your contract twice. One, you need to have a contract that you're issuing to vendors and other subs that that people that you're going to work with. You need a boilerplate template contract that's specific to your organization. So I would talk to a lawyer about drafting that. That's inexpensive. But also, I would just have it in there. If you know that you have a contract, you need to just figure it out to give the money to the lawyer to look at your contract before you start the job. If it's 1500 bucks, whatever it is, it shouldn't be anything crazy because you're not getting them on a retainer. But have them look over each contract because it is so much easier to negotiate at the beginning than in the middle or the end when things go awry. Yeah. And what is the art to negotiating? Let's say you're a newer business, you're worried about getting the job, not getting the job. You know, what What approach or what advice you give to, to people when they are negotiating those bits? Well, if you are a smaller contractor, you're probably working with an organization that has their own boilerplate template language. And so they are going to be less inclined to alter their contract or redline their contract. Not to say that you shouldn't, but if you are giving it to a construction law attorney, they should be reviewing it on your behalf. And really, the key things that you're looking for is when am I going to get paid? How am I going to get paid? Is it going to be weekly or monthly? Is it net 30? And you have to be careful of the fine language because it may say net 30 upon approval of the general contractor. So what is upon approval? When does that occur? At what point do we identify if this pay application has been approved? And you also want to pay attention to the days. How, How much time are you being given? on the project? Is it, you know, two months or three months? Are these actual calendar days or is Saturday and Sunday? Do they count? If not, how much are the liquidated damages or what is the corrective action of submittals? Like when are the submittals due? Pre-submittals as well as post-submittals. What are your requirements and responsibilities in addition to doing the work, the administrative aspect and labor? What am I responsible for? And also, which is the most common thing, finally, is change orders. Not doing anything until you have something in writing saying that, yes, you have permission to do the altered scope or the additional work, but also this is how you're going to be paid. Because a lot of times things on construction sites are moving fast. So you call the person or the representative and say, hey, we found this. It's going to be another 200 square feet or 3,000 feet or whatever it is. And they may say, yeah, just go ahead. We got to get it done. 
But if you do it and then they say, I never said that, then now you're screwed. And so uh, no pun intended. So those are some of the things you want to be aware of when you are looking at your contract. But again, you also want to defer to a professional to assist you because you don't know what you're looking for. And that's okay. Yeah, for sure. So you know, having p- people come in, review at least the contracts, you know, educating yourself sounds like asking tons of clarifying questions and incorporating that into any agreement. Yeah, but in, in redlining, what doesn't make sense because the worst that they can say is no. <laughs> they just may come back and say no, we won't do that. But you'll be surprised. It's you know, I do it all the time. We work with different contractors, and they will still slide it in there, and it's like no. Nope. No, 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 no. Give me an example. Explain this. No, no, no. And uh, often we may get 50% of what we want, but that's better, better than nothing. That's true. It just adds up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what sort of, you know, I looking at yourself as an example of someone that just went out there and, and started a business and now all sorts of different opportunities are coming your way. What advice do you give to people that are sort of just starting out this path? in construction? Be open to the opportunities because you just don't know. You have no idea. You know, when I started in this business, I was a receptionist at a front desk. And so I could not foresee my life, you know, 16 years ago would turn into what it's evolved into and what it continues to happen to me. I've been very fortunate, but it wasn't just from just saying yes. You know, often, especially when we're younger in our careers, we have more flexibility. And before social media came about, you didn't have all this overload of information to make decisions. You just said, this feels right. I'm going to do it. We'll see what happens. The worst thing could happen. I quit, I get fired and, you know, I go find another job. And so neither of those things happened. And so you move on. But I think when you're starting out in your career, whether you're starting as an entrepreneur or just in your career in general, it's just to be open to the possibilities because something leads to something. But also what you learn along the way, you never realize how you may be able to use that information for what you choose to do in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What does the future look like for you? What are your goals? How do you see it uh, going for you? I see my future is bright. That's what I see. <laughs> you know, It's bright. I am the sun. I am the light. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. I love that. And I, I make plans and I let God do the rest and I leave some room for the magic. And uh, right now it's just 2024 is uh, filled with speaking opportunities for me. I am going to uh, continue to hammer home the importance of the fact that we need more women and minorities and youth in this industry, in the construction industry, that we have to work to change the landscape to improve the industry. And like I said, we're working on this big audacious project with the Greener Tomorrow, highlighting women in construction, supporting them. And so that is what the immediate future looks like. But the rest of it, I just, you know, I leave it up to the universe and just see what happens. It works out way better than what I'm planning. So for sure, it's more fun when you don't know. Yeah, it's just, you know, you've seen the meme where it says surprise, surprise. It's like surprise, surprise. Okay. Perfect. For what you're doing now with, uh, you know, the various sort of initiatives and positive change you're trying to uh, make happen, how can people get involved? How can they help? I think the best way that, that people can help universally is to start with where they are. You don't need a title to lead. However, you show up in your community in your ecosphere, at your job, is to just be an advocate of others. Of, well, let me back up. 
I take that back. Be an advocate of yourself first. Advocate for yourself first, because once you do that, it then becomes easier to advocate for others. So advocate for yourself and then advocate for others wherever you are and whatever it is that you are passionate about, wherever you see that there could be improvement or wherever you feel that there is an injustice in this world, because there is enough of them. So I think that if we all lean into the things that we are passionate about within the industry and our careers, we collectively as a whole can can be better. You know, whatever it is that you care about, make sure that people know you care about it and show that you do. Wonderful. Is there anything that I did not ask you, but you wanted to share? Not that I can think of. Well, I love what you're doing. You have a great story. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.